Hello, America. Welcome to yet another edition of Let's Weekend. I'm your host, with much Brandon Perkins. Joining me, as always, is Chris Logie and Patrick Mifflin. Say hi, guys. Yo. Yeah. So uh, this week episode is for February eighteenth, twenty twenty three. And yeah. Uh, well, a couple of things happened. Um, this week, some of them good, some of them bad, as is usual. Uh, but what is unusual about this week is the unusual, I guess, violence. Um, which, keep in mind, big shootings are not unusual here in the United States, like, at all. No. Um, but we kind of had a rash of them that happened in a very short time frame that is getting shocked the shockingly little amount of coverage you would consider it would need to get um considering just just the fact that it was all mashed together in such a short time but there was some other stuff that happened this week including the fact that we realized that uh even though most of us always already kind of figured it but now we got confirmation uh the people who work at Fox News don't really believe any of the shit that they're talking about, and we ended up getting actual proof of it this week. Um, we'll get to it, but uh, then, of course, there's some more news about that uh, earthquake that happened on the border of Turkey and Syria. Uh, one of our former presidents is going into hospice care. Um, a longtime senator is finally announcing that confirm and confirming that she's not running for re-election um the prime minister of scotland has also announced their resignation and people are in the u.s are like wait that was a that's an option you can take (laughs) yeah also one of the world's most beloved cartoonists is coming back with a new project and it's someone you've Definitely whose work you've come across and name you might even recognize, but they have not really been seen much over the last almost 30 years now. Um, And, of course, we got a whole bunch of entertainment and trailers and stuff to talk about like that. But before we get all that stuff, we got, of course, the stuff we usually got to do when we start off as is tradition. And it's great for us and therefore the world. Um, as always, we start up with all the things we've been doing to lead up to this week. So, Chris, what have you been doing this week? Dealing with the usual bullshit around here. Yeah. We did have a nice day where it got to about 70 degrees, mm-hmm. uh, which is not normal for February in Ohio. Yeah. Uh, so that was weird. Uh, but then the mm. next day it dropped down to the 40s again and all was right. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we got a little snow on Friday, and it's, it was cold today, so we're back where it should be. Yeah. Uh, but we've been watching some stuff, uh, watching more Physical 100 on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the Korean like reality competition show uh, yeah. featuring uh, 100 of the uh, sort of most physically fit or gifted people in Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been going through a bunch of quests, uh, challenges mm-hmm. uh, throughout. Uh, I think episode eight just released. I think there's one more episode. I think we're at the point where there's they're down to five people. 
I assume mm. we'll be doing some big thing, but yeah, they've gone through a lot of weird uh, challenges, uh, some involving, you know, like building bridges across mm-hmm. uh, these ropes uh, and that kind of stuff. One, they had one weird challenge that was for people that had been eliminated in the previous round to get five uh, people to return. And the setup for it looked like it came out of like a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was fun. It's it's a fun show. Uh, mm. And yeah, the the round they just went through some wild stuff. Essentially, having these teams of five that put up their people, or maybe it was uh, four. Um, it was five. Five, uh, and they put up. Uh, one person for each of these different challenges that um, only one person can win and move on. Mm. Uh, so it was, you know, sort of a blind choice. So uh, you just complete luck of the draw if you're getting a good crowd or not. Mm-hmm. Makes it easier, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that was fun. Uh, still waiting on the next episode, but that should be it. Uh, the other Netflix show I watched was Kunk on Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a mockumentary, five episodes. Uh, they're like 28 minutes each. And it is a mockumentary featuring a comedian who is playing a character named Philomena Kunk, a mm. British uh, person who is like the host for this show, but she is taking the sort of dumb approach of explaining like human advancement in the history of the Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, talking to historians and uh, uh, people in the know on various topics and asking oftentimes very dumb questions and mm-hmm. uh, sometimes even going so far as to, like, say, so we know that this, you know, this conspiracy is true because, uh, you know, my friend showed me a YouTube video, uh, all this kind of stuff. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes a bit getting used to the vibe of what's going on here, but once you do, it's really funny uh, at times, uh, especially getting some some good lines in there. Mm. Uh, like she gets to uh, American history and talking about uh, the, uh, the founding fathers, and she describes them as, let me see here, uh, the straight white supergroup known as the founding fathers drafted the most famous breakup text in history, the Declaration mm. of Independence. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, then there's yeah an, ep- an episode four. Uh, she gets to slavery. It says, but by finally thinking hard about the subject, the people of the northern states made a horrifying discovery, and inside each slave was an actual human person. <laughs> uh, yeah, also here with its cowboys and guns and steam train rides, America became known as the land of the free, which must have come as a surprise to all the slaves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some really good uh, writing there in this and also just throws in a a weird reference to uh, have an excuse to bring in the uh, I think she calls it the the Belgian techno pop hits pump up the jam Mm. that just plays it for you know 30 seconds or so Mm. uh, as they put some text over it of fake facts about the, the song or people or whatever uh, that's pretty good. Even have a little bit of like her leaving a note 
for you know somebody to bring her you know a drink and some food mm. and be like wait no that wasn't supposed to go here mm. as for the you know, the the pa or whatever uh kind of thing it's it's a fun it's a fun thing it's pretty short so you can watch it in about two and a half hours and enjoy uh, especially because she she talks about the this the space race and how the the russians sent up like the dog mm-hmm. in one of their ships and she just automatically assumes that the dog came down, they gave him treats and all this, mm. and the guy has let her know, like, no, it most likely died a few hours after it launched in. Yeah. Like, so there's a dead dog in space. <laughs> She's like, so everybody that's filmed the movie in space, like Star Wars, just has dead dogs out there. <laughs> and she just gets really upset about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, like, talks about the, the nuclear race in the Cold War. And is like uh, talking to a guy. It's like, uh, so well, it's good that you know Britain doesn't have any nuclear weapons. He goes, mm. no, we actually do. We have a bunch. And she's like, no, but they're all fake, aren't they? Mm. She's like, no, they're very much real. Then she just starts breaking down into tears at the <laughs> idea that she, there's nuclear weapons somewhere nearby on this tiny island. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a fun. It's a whole fun thing if you want to just. It actually it has some actual, like, historical facts in it, but it's also uh, couched in a lot of a lot of stupidity and mm. uh, fun jokes and all that. So, oh, yeah, you won't learn much, but you may learn a couple things, uh, especially mm. from the the experts that she talks to. That you know, explain why the things she's saying is stupid. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there you go. That's a fun show uh, for games. Uh, been playing. I got Theat Rhythm Final Bar Line mm-hmm. uh, for the PS4. The uh, the Final Fantasy themed rhythm game uh, that originally launched on the the 3DS. Mm-hmm. And uh, so much now, DLC. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this base version has like 384 songs in it, uh, covering a bunch of stuff in it. Um, mm. All the mainline games. As well as once you complete a title, it unlocks a bunch of other stuff that you can potentially get. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like side, uh, side Final Fantasy games. Uh, I went and unlocked uh, for during one of my stream the, the stream for it. I unlocked the Chocobo Mystery Dungeon mm-hmm. uh, series there, just so I could at least have a, a Chocobo character for my party. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of stuff, but I got like Mobius Final Fantasy, which is a a mobile game. It mm-hmm. has some real good music in it, uh, especially some like techno dance music that you would not expect to be in a Final Fantasy game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even Final, I think Seven has three different entries on there because there's Final Fantasy Seven, there's Remake, and then there's you know the the spinoffs. Mm. All get their own section, so Crisis Core and Dirge of Cerberus and that stuff gets some songs in there. So Mm. uh, that's all really cool. They have some interesting like multiplayer stuff where you're essentially doing a four player competition Mm -hmm. uh, in a song. Everybody picks one song of their other things they've had unlocked and it just randomly picks one of them Mm -hmm. and you go through that. And even if you lose, you get uh, profile cards that are profile cards that you get from the people They'll mm-hmm. have a summon stone attached to it, whatever they have it attached to it. 
Mm-hmm. And summon stones are just summons that have that can have special attributes to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so be like, oh, you get you know plus twenty percent experience uh, with this, or you know plus thirty percent item drops, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people are definitely getting one of those uh, with some good stats and saying like, oh, I'll be hosting a room on here for you know thirty minutes for people that want to get this card, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing. But yeah, like I have Knights of the Knights of the Round. I think mm-hmm. it's the one that's at the that's the the big Final Fantasy VII one, which takes a lot longer to build up than the others, uh, mm-hmm. because it's you know the best one in the game, I assume. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like one of the stages I went through was like just use you know your ultimate once, and I had that one on, and never got to use it because it was not a long enough song to let me mm-hmm. get the get it going. Uh, so I did. It was an easier one, but that game's really good. Uh, I probably don't recommend the $100 edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, that gets all three season passes, but it's like by the time they get all three of them out, the early ones will probably go on sale. Mm. Uh, but that puts it over 500 songs, I think. Uh, but mm. that's all adding you know various other Square Enix uh, RPG songs. Mm-hmm. Live Alive, Near Saga... Oh, Saga's got some good ones. Yeah, they got a bunch of different packs. They're going to be adding in over time. Probably throughout. Do most they have? Of the do they have the magical tank battle from Romancing Saga Three? I don't know that they've announced all the specific songs. Oh, I, I I thought you were talking about stuff that was out now. Okay. No, they've got a couple of packs out now for the people that have the first season pass. Okay. I don't know what all is in it. I'd have to look it up. Um, but yeah, that one's, let me see here. Now it's not going to show me the DLC. Okay. Whatever. Um, but yeah, it's, they got a few packs out right now. Uh, probably not worth getting right now unless you just love the songs in there, but they usually have like probably five or eight songs per game pack. So pretty decent selection there. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's that. Uh, I've been playing some more American truck simulator. Uh, they have a Valentine's event going on, uh, so I'm trying to get that done since I waited till the last minute uh, to finish up by tomorrow evening. So I'm about halfway done, so I'm not too far from it, uh, but that's been fun. And just also playing more Rocket League as I get chances to, so that's been pretty much it for me. How about you, Pat? Yeah, Pat, what about you? It's been an interesting week. Um I got my Steam Deck finally set up on my main gaming rig, so I'm running it on the TV now, and boy, is that an interesting experience. Mm. Um, mostly I've just been playing OutRun 2006 because I am a creature of habit after all, and that's just one of my favorite games of all time, and anytime I have a gaming PC handy, uh, that's probably what I'm going to be christening it with. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of gaming PCs, I also got a hand-me-down... Uh, ROG Strix laptop and I've kind of been onboarding that into my gaming rig and my gaming practice um, along with the Steam Deck and that's been a lot of fun Like, I have yet to even approach the top end of what this computer can do and that has me really excited um, apparently it's an emulation beast so it's going to be 
very interesting to see just how I can downsize my my current rig. Mm. Um, you know how I don't know how many consoles this is going to replace at this point, but I'm I welcome it. You know. Yeah. So, um, in addition to that, I recently looked at my uh, YouTube channel um, performance, basically. And I came to the sobering realization that I my commentary videos aren't performing nearly as well as my um, no commentary gameplay footage. Mm-hmm. Um, my best performer as far as commentary goes has been my top 10 fighting games list, which the last time I looked was at 611 views. And that's less than 10% of what my best performing gameplay video that I uploaded eight years ago is doing. Mm. Um, at 6.2, um, yeah, 6.2 thousand. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was, um, and that was just a video of me doing one of the end game, uh, one of the end game playlists on Ridge Racer 2. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting back into the business of gameplay videos. And again, with, um, Ridge Racer 2, because now it's going to be recorded off of the PS5 and not some, you know, shitty direct feed um, component video from the PSP. Mm. So I'm, I'll put that playlist up. I've got I've got eight um, playlists recorded right now uh, mm. from it, and we'll see how those do. And you know, hopefully, I can get to a point where the the two types of content feed off of each other. But at this point, I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen, mm-hmm. but um, it's definitely a good insight to come across as far as my channel performance and things like that. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop doing like sound off videos or anything of that nature anytime soon because, um, you know, that's the stuff I enjoy doing the most, and mm. you know that's reason enough for me to keep doing it. I would I would continue doing that even if I held it, you know if I just kept getting like 30, 40 views per video, because it's just what I've always been about doing. Mm. All right. But yeah, that's been pretty much it for me. All right. Uh, well, as for me, um, I played and finished Ratchet and Clank ripped apart and man, that game just, it, it, it ends beautifully. Um, and sets up like so much for like where the series can go. And now I really wish Insomniac would get on that and make the next Ratchet and Clank game because this game they made for the PS5 is just absolutely gorgeous and was a ton of fun, just a delight from beginning to end. Um, and I it was like very much the game the PS5 needed when it came along. Yeah, uh huh. And uh, it used just about every bit of the PS5's processing power. <laughs> and it showed, because um, this game just had an inordinate amount of detail um, in its environments and and its animation, and just in so many ways, it was just it was a great game. Um, but uh, basically, I'm kind of sort of biding my time until uh, Tuesday when um, when Atomic Heart comes out, and so. I'm uh I decided to you know use my little uh use my uh you know my PS Plus account and 
my subscription and I decided to play uh, Far Cry New Dawn because I hadn't played a Far Cry game in a while. And, um, and as you don't know, Far Cry New Dawn is like a sequel to what was Far Cry 5. Um, spoiler alert, it ends with a nuclear apocalypse. <laughs> um, and um, Far Cry. Yeah. And uh, I got to honestly say, I am definitely enjoying New Dawn more than I enjoyed Far Cry 5. Um, even though, uh, you know, story-wise, it's a little weaker. And I think it's because, just personally, I think the post-apoc- the whole Far Cry formula just works a lot better in a post-apocalyptic setting like this. That's fair. Yeah, because in a lot of the Far Cry games, you know, your whole thing is like you're trying to set up like all this infrastructure and stuff, you know, get like radio tower points and all of this stuff. And, you know, in most of these games, you're playing in a place where, uh, granted, you know, they might be having issues, but not so much that, you know, they can't have other people going about doing this yet. But in Far Cry New Dawn, it makes sense because this is like 17 years after the bombs fell and, you know, people are trying to just starting to like rebuild civilization. So it makes sense that, you know, you're going out there and, you know, restarting all of this old tech or, you know, collecting old stuff to reuse it, you know, stuff like that. Um Actively going out and getting, like, ethanol and stuff used to power the, you know, power all of the, you know, the machinery and stuff that you got. Um, It also kind of uh, sort of takes the whole idea of, like, you know, it, it it puts you up against a group of people who, like, take the whole concept of, like, oh, it's the apocalypse, let's go rampaging, you know. And puts you up against those people and, like, suits them up like the, you know, the stereotypical sort of Mad Max type bandits and stuff. And makes you realize, oh, yeah, these guys are total assholes. <laughs> um, that you, you know, he, he's like, yeah, they look cool. They're also just real serious pricks who do horrible things to people. Um. But yeah, it's uh it's very enjoyable. Um so I've been playing that. Um I'm also playing well no, actually that's the end of my gaming for right now. Um until Atomic Heart comes out and I'll let you all know how that game is uh after I've been playing it. Um But uh yeah, and just the usual stuff, other than that, you know, books, still doing a lot of reading. Um I've been reading this book called The Future History of Another Timeline, and it's a it's got it's I, I was reading the plot and I'm like, yeah, this shit's right up my alley. Um, so the whole concept is is that time travel is a thing, and that you know how like in a lot of these types of stories where time travel is sort of like a central tenet, you always ask the question like. Okay, so there's people traveling back in time to observe the past. Do the people in the past just not suspect that something is up or that they don't realize something is happening? Um, Well, this book answers that question. Uh, Basically, uh, in the world of the book, there are these things. They, They literally just call them machines with a capital M. 
that can send people back into the past. Um, and um, you can't, as uh, far as I can tell, you cannot go into the future. You can't go back into the past. Well, I think you can go into the future, but the, 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 it's kind of vague at this moment. But the thing is, this takes place in a timeline where, like, certain things have already been significantly altered. Like, one of them is that, for example, women get the right to vote a lot earlier than, you know, in our timeline, where, remember, women didn't get the right to vote until 1920. Here, they got it sometime in the 1840s. So, by the time this story has started, uh, Harriet Tubman has been a senator. Um, and... You know, there's other things that's also happening. It's not all positive, though, because abortion is illegal. And while, so there's a group of individuals in who are involved in this. They call it, um, I forgot what they call it. It's a special title specifically for people who go back into the past to record stuff um, and observe and things like that. They started to, but there's a group of them, the, the group that called themselves the Daughters of Harriet. It's a group of women who've started to realize that someone has been going back in the past and altering certain things in ways that are noticeable. Uh, for example, one of the Daughters of Harriet is murdered. Um, and the thing is, is that this was a trans woman, which is all fine and good in the timeline because when they're, you she's considered a woman but then after she's murdered they search up her obituary and they notice that the obituary is basically dead naming her and using these you know really nasty anti-trans slurs and it's then they realize that somebody has been going back into the past trying to actively alter the progress that's been going on and so one of them ends up going back to the, I think it's the late 1800s, and they end up coming up against uh, a group of, for lack of a better word, incels, that are working with an organization that was started by a guy, a real individual, by the way, a person who actually existed named Anthony Comstock. <laughs> um, and... Now they're basically in a sort of edit war, basically, where they're trying to fix the damage and rechange things in the past so that they can fix all the damage that's happening. And here's the thing. Knowledge of time travel at this point has been around forever, more or less. So when she goes back into uh, the uh, into the into the late 1800s and she you know starts going up with a group of traveling performers, they instantly realize that she's from the future. So it's one of those weird situations where it's like, yeah, people are 100% aware of um, time travel, and apparently people have been using it enough at this point that it's just become a semi-regular occurrence. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and finally, uh, it's Georgia, and so the weather just straight up. You know, it was like the mid-70s, and then it dropped down to the 40s, and then... Today, it got as high as 60, and then, you know, next week, it's going to shoot back up to 80, and then at, later that week, it's going to go right back down to 60, and then 50 again. It was minus two here this morning. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> <Climate> wow. change. 
All right. Well, then. Um, well, with that out of the way, uh, does anybody have anything else they want to add before we move on? No. No? All right, then. Well, it's now time for yet another yet another edition of Brandon's Random Factoid, everybody's favorite part of the show. And um, this week, you know, we talked a little bit about last week about Kenji Miyazawa, a guy who is sort of a, who was uh, wrote children's stories that have since become like a massive part of Japanese culture in ways that basically can no you once you have them pointed out to you you can never not see them well I wanted to talk about another individual uh from Japan who was also a writer for children a writer and illustrator might I add um who unlike Miyazawa did live to see his uh success fairly early on and remained an institution well up to his death. Um, he actually died in 2013. Um, and he is a person who was, his stuff is still like so insanely popular that to this day, you know, there's still cartoons and movies and, you know, stuff all based on the work that he put out there. At least one of which it's very possible some of you might have come in contact with. Um, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. His name was Takashi Yanase. And he was, in many ways, some would call him the Dr. Seuss of Japan. For the record, I really hate using comparisons like that because... It apples just, and it, oranges? Yeah, apples and oranges, but... It kind of makes sense here because, for one thing, he was just as well known for his very idiosocratic art style as he was as a writer. Um, now, his artwork was not really as intricate or detailed as as Seuss's was, but he did have a very distinctive art style. And in spite of that, he still could create some very striking pieces when he wanted to. Um, but, okay, so here, here's uh, sort of... Yanase's story. Yanase was born in February 6, 1919. Um, right around uh, the late 30s, he was drafted into the war. And there's actually a picture of him um, on his Wikipedia page where he's riding a horse in 1940, where he's, you know, he's not wearing a shirt, but he's got like his soldier's hat with him and everything. Um, but basically, the dude uh, went through World War II. And as you can imagine, he came back with, shall we say, a few issues. <laughs> um, he had what, uh, by modern standards, we would call, um, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. And so to deal with just the sheer awful shit that he had to go through, um, he decided that he was going to dedicate himself to writing and drawing things for children. Because... When you've seen awful shit like that that early in your life, you've basically got no choice but to try and just drown yourself in whimsy. Um, but what he did is he did, he did a couple of different things. Um, he got his start, as a lot of young people his age did, uh, drawing manga. Specifically, he drew, like, newspaper strips, um, which did okay. They didn't really, it was just work for him at the time. Because what he really wanted to do is he wanted to draw picture books for children. Now, 
he started out doing animal stories, basically. Stuff like uh, Yasashi Lion, or The Kindly Lion, um, which is about a lion that's raised by, uh, you know, kind um, woodland animals, and he tries to be good and gentle, uh, but it doesn't really work out that well. Um, he had another one that I'm going to get to in a moment that's kind of on that basic idea, but like in reverse, um, I'll get to it. But the thing that he became the most famous for is something that has become not just a cultural, not just a, not just a thing in Japan. It is a tradition, an institution, you mind you. Um, see, one of the things about being a soldier in the Japanese army was that uh, you didn't really get a whole lot to eat. Rations tended to be pretty meager um, at the best of times. And any person who ever, you know, and th this is true for like who went in entertainment who were veterans of the war would tell you like, yeah, we were, you know, we were constantly hungry. You know, we would wake up every morning and our sergeants would basically smack us across the face because there was this idea that, you know, soldiers were like tatami mats and that they got stronger the more you hit them. Um, and uh, so he thought, you know what? And, you know, keep in mind that thing with like food, that was an issue after the war too. Remember? Cause like, after the war, food was kind of a hard thing to come by for a lot of people. And, you know, the U.S. had to supply things to help the Japanese get back on their feet. And so he thought, you know what? The idea of, like, food, having something to eat, um, is something that, you know, kids, a lot of kids of that generation, their children, really cared about. And... You know, so that's something I could use. What else is something? Um, what do the kids like? Uh, well, he actually was a friend of Osamu Tezuka, you know, the creator okay. of Astro Boy. Yep. And one of the things that Osamu Tezuka was a big fan of was he was a huge fan of Superman. He was part of the Japanese Superman cl fan club. And, um, and so Yanase got a look at this Superman character, and he thought, huh, Okay, well, I could create maybe sort of a superhero type character. But how am I going to apply this with my food thing? Well, let's see. What is things that kids like, little children like to eat? Um, well, they like stuff like uh, bread. Well, I say bread, more like pastries. Specifically yeah. pastries filled with jam. Specifically red bean jam which most people may know as Anpan. And so, in, let's see, where was it? In 1976, no, wait, yeah, 1976, he put out the very first book in his series of a character he created called Anpan Man, which was a superhero character who, which had a head made out of Anpan that he would occasionally reach up and break off little pieces so he could eat, so he would never go hungry. Yep. <laughs> um, and you can look it up on, like, Wikipedia and stuff like that. Yeah, like, uh, hold on. I got a, a little link right here. I'll go ahead and put the link here in the show notes. The Wikipedia article. Yep. Unpun Man. There he is. Uh... And yeah, if you go to Japan, you look around, you'll see this dude everywhere. He is—he was a phenomenally huge success. Um, 
he basically he he has been in on tele he has been in bookstores and on television in Japan pretty much since the late seventies continuously. Um, the very first anime adaptation came out in like nineteen seventy nine. And then there was another one in 1988. Then there was another one in 2020. And there were a bunch of shorts that were made intermittently in between that time. So there have also been 33 full-length films based on Anpan Man that have been in theaters at one time or another. A crap ton of animated shorts. Christmas specials. There's been a Christmas special every year uh, since 1988. Um, and of course, there's also been video games and music, or yeah, theme songs and stuff. All of which, by the way, Yanase himself wrote. He was heavily involved in the um, television series, um, and uh, you know, writing the lyrics for the theme songs and the musical segments and all that stuff. Now, that wasn't the only like, and, and on top of those. Um, those picture books. He also had an Ampon Man comic that he drew, um, sort of for a couple of years. Um, yeah, from 1976 to 1982, um, which was in a, a ma- magazine called Monthly Ichigo Ihan, which was published by Sanrio. Um, yes, that Sanrio, the Hello Kitty people. Yeah. Uh, um, and he also had a uh, newspaper that he drew from 1990 to 1994, that he also drew. Um, those are just like two... He, let's see, there was also a... Um, there was also a, another, like, uh, Anpan Man comic he did aimed at adults that was in monthly poetry and fairy tales that was published from 1975 to 1976. Um, yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. Um, Oh, and he also, he didn't just do Anpan Man, obviously. I mentioned that he did uh, a bunch of, you know, animal stories like that. And he also had another series called Mighty Cat Miss Neander, (laughs) Uh, which was sort of like the, which was, it was essentially like a a revision to a newspaper comic he had done back in the years that had a, uh, despite what the name, you know, the original actually had a rabbit. The new version had a cat. Um, it developed in tandem with an anime series. Um, and it was basically about a cat who finds a magic backpack that gives him superpowers. He looks very similar to... Uh, he he kind of has the sort of same superhero motif as... As a Superman, as a Anpon Man, but his costume is a little bit more Batmanish. Um, he kind of reminds me of a Fujiko F. Fujio uh, manga that anime that was around around that same time time period called Puman. Um, but yeah, so there was that. But as for like what we might have come in contact with now. I'm not exactly sure if you guys ever saw this, but I certainly did. I saw it when I was in grade school. Um, one of the sort of animal stories he did back in the early part of his career was a little, was a story called Chirin no Suzu or Chirin's Bell. It was the story, it was about a, 
little lamb named Chirin, who grows up carefree with a flock on a farm. And he, his mother gives him a little bell around his neck so that she can find him if he gets lost. And then one day a wolf comes and kills his mother and a bunch of the other sheep. So he decides he wants to get revenge for his mother, but he's not strong enough because he's, you know, a little sheep. And eventually what happens, he ends up going into the mountain and he ends up finding the wolf. And he realizes, you know, I can't find the wolf myself. Maybe the wolf can train me. So the wolf trains him. And then three years later, Chirin comes back. He's now a fully grown ram, and he is ruthless. <laughs> and he decides he sort of sees his wolf as a father figure. Um, the wolf takes him down to the farm to kill the sheep, but unfortunately, Chirin suddenly realizes what's happened. He then fights the wolf. The wolf fatally is wounded by Chirin with it, by his horns. He says that he is proud of Chirin, declaring that Chirin, like him, is now a lone wolf. Chirin is then rejected by the flock, and he's never seen again. But on some nights, you can hear the faint ringing of his bell, much like the howls of the lone wolves before him. I saw this, this story not as a book, but as an animated adventure drama film called Ringing Bell. And I saw this on a TV screen when I was in third grade. And it looks so sweet and so happy when you first see it. And then midway through, it takes a very dark and violent turn. (laughs) And it is, there is for a certain generation of children, it is like one of those stories that is like, it's like, it's, it's one of those, it's, it's like a shock movie because it, and it, it, for some time it was kind of marketed that way. It is like on the surface, a very sweet and nice story. But the thing is we Americans aren't really that used to, you know, the whole tradition of children's stories that can be really dark and have very like deep and, you know, foreboding themes like that. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> that happened to me. When I was about, I don't know, eight years old. Thanks, Mrs. <laughs> Hammerson. But yeah. Uh, so unfortunately, Takashi Yanase died in 2013, and he kept working with the Anpan Man franchise pretty much right up until his death. Um, and uh, he, like I said, his stuff is still everywhere in Japan. Um, there are like whole, there's even like a line of pastries like Anpan Man, packaged Anpan that use Anpot Man as their mascot. So, you know, (laughs) yeah, that was... Full circle. Yeah, full circle. And that was Takashi Yanase, and uh, that was yet another installment of Brandon's Random Factual. All right. So, yeah, I agree, Coco. Now then, with that out of the way, it's time to move on to the show proper. And as always, with the show proper, we start off with the assholes of the week. And we have... A few of them this week, because within the span of one week, we had three big shootings happen. We had one that happened in Buffalo Tops, another that happened in El Paso, Arizona. Was it New Mexico or Arizona? Was it Texas? Texas. It was El Paso. Okay, Texas. And another that happened in Mississippi. Um, well, we only had two. Well, we only had two. Okay. 
But the fact that we had like two like that in just a short amount of time, just damn. But anyway, the first one that happened is the Buffalo top shooter has been sentenced to life in prison without parole. He was the guy who went into, but wasn't it the supermarket? Yeah. Whatever. Supermarket. Specifically to go out and kill black people. Like yeah. that was his whole thing. Yeah. Um, and now he's going to rot in prison for the rest of his life where he fucking belongs, the bastard. Yep. Uh, yeah, the judge, Susan Egan, said here, there's no place for you or your ignorant, hateful, evil ideologies in a civilized society. There can be no mercy for you, no understanding, no second chances. Mm-hmm. The damage you, has ca- you have caused is too great, and the people you have hurt are too valuable to this community. Mm-hmm. You'll never see the light of day as a free man ever again. Yeah. Yeah. And there's really nothing more to add to it. He's now going to rot in jail, and if there's any justice in the world, we'll never have to hear about him again. Um, so, yeah, that happened. Uh, and then we had this happen. Uh, we had another shooter died and three were injured in a shooting at El Paso Mall that's near where the Walmart shooting in 2019 occurred. Yeah, it's basically across the street from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, luckily only one person was killed here, uh, shot at the, I think the food court mm-hmm. in the mall. So mm-hmm. that is, uh, at least the, the bright side of it, but mm-hmm. yeah, they took two people into custody, mm-hmm. uh, that they believe were involved in this. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I think they're still going through it. Uh, so that is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This seemed like a very... Very limited uh, attempt at you know mm-hmm. shooting like they weren't. I don't think they were intending to kill a bunch of people because it seemed like it was pretty busy there still. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seemed like they probably had certain people in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so that happened. And then another shooter in the same week killed six people in Mississippi. Yeah. Uh, this was a lone gunman that killed six people, including his ex-wife and stepfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was, yeah, Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, multiple locations in a tiny rural community in northern Mississippi. Mm-hmm. As people are still trying to figure out like why he did this. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a shotgun and two handguns. Uh, this 52-year-old man opened fire at about 11 a.m., killed a man in the the driver's seat of a pickup truck mm-hmm. parked outside a convenience store in Arkabutla mm-hmm. uh, near the Tennessee state line. Mm. Uh, let's see. Yeah, deputies were working this, the crime scene when a second 911 call alerted authorities to another shooting a few miles away. After arriving at a home, they found a woman whom the sheriff identified as mm-hmm. his ex-wife, shot dead and her current husband wounded. Uh, mm. They caught up with him outside his own home and arrested him. Mm-hmm. And the residents, they found two handy men slain by gunfire. Mm. So just two guys minding their own business, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, they mm-hmm. got his stepfather and his stepfather's sister as well. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that happened. And then, last but not least, um. So some of you may not know this, you know, unless you exclusively watch Fox News, you may not know this. They've been uh, facing down the barrel 
of a defamation lawsuit from Dominion over the last couple of years now, I'm going to say. Um, and as, as the, uh, as the overall sort of case has gone on, they recently had to do the discovery process and Dominion found a bunch of text messages and correspondence between some of the major, uh, television personalities at Fox, including Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, and Dr. Carlson, of course. And it basically shows that, yep, they all knew that the whole electric fraud thing was a load of bullshit. And they were saying so in private to each other and to people like Rupert Burdock and others. So. Yeah. Yeah, and this article has, you know, some of these lined up with the the talking points they said on air. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, like here, November 8th, Trump ally and lawyer Sidney Powell, mm-hmm. last dominion to Fox News host Maria Bartiromo, mm-hmm. uh, where Maria says, Sidney, we talked about the Dominion software. I know that there were voting irregularities. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Sidney says, that's to put it mildly, the computer glitches could not and should not have happened at all. Mm-hmm. That is where the fraud took place, where they were flipping votes in the computer system or adding votes that did not exist. Uh, Fox News knew the source of Powell's election fraud claim was, quote, nonsense. Bartiromo told lawyers under oath. The day before Powell appeared on the show, she sent Bartiromo and other Fox News hosts an email entitled Election Fraud Info Mm -hmm. from a source, a self-described wackadoodle, alleging that Dominion was the, quote, unquote, one common thread among voting irregularities in a number of states. Mm-hmm. But Aroma later admitted that email was "quote unquote" mm-hmm. not evidence of claims of election fraud. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another one here involving Rudy Giuliani on Lou Dobbs tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, same sort of situation. Under oath, Dobbs admitted he had seen that statement on November 12th. A senior producer, also under oath, said the show's producers had discussed the statement. Uh, yeah, where Dominion sent Fox News emails entitled Setting the Record Straight mm. with links to information debunking the claims it shows had aired about the company. Mm-hmm. Say that it had no ties to the voting tech company Smartmatic or Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Included a link to Federal Election Authority statement that the 2020 election had been the most secure in American history. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, there's more here like uh, involving Janine Pirro. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one for Sean Hannity. Uh, so yeah. Uh, where he had, uh, mm. yeah, Powell on Sidney Powell, uh, but later uh, in a text, Hannity called Powell a effing lunatic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but it's like you should be uh, preaching what you believe, not just be mm-hmm. putting on, uh, you know, a dog and pony show here of. Things you don't actually believe. But that's yeah. Fox News. Yep. They have to do what interests their audience, not what they want to do. Yeah. And what's kind of sad is that the people who actually hear this will probably not care. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So that was the assholes of the week. But we do have some heroes to sort of balance it out, sort of bring balance back to the force, if you will. Um, so, for those of you who don't know, a certain video game came out recently. We'll call it the game that should not be named. 
Um, I have no interest in playing it because that franchise was just never a thing that really to me. Um, but it's been incredibly controversial online for obvious reasons, specifically the individual responsible for that said franchise. And one of the things that's been kind of been sort of a phenomenon that's been happening is as the game was coming out and the days after it came out, there had been these sort of op-eds that had started showing up in major newspapers, specifically this one we're talking about, the New York Times, uh, trying to defend said creator um, against critique or criticism or whatever. Um, and this all sort of came culminated with a sort of trend of increasingly anti-trans biased coverage of trans issues. So what happened is that a bunch of contributors to the New York Times decided to get together and they wrote an open letter protesting against the paper's biased coverage. Yeah. Initially started at about 200, but I think mm -hmm. grew to over 1,000 of them. Yep. Uh, talking mm. about the the various issues they have, uh, you know, really giving the, the transgender topics mm. outso outsized coverage for what really matters there. Mm. Uh, but also, uh, as they say here, serious concerns about editorial bias. The new newspaper is reporting on transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people, mm. oftentimes giving... Uh, yeah, they treat a cover of gender diversity, quote, with an eerily familiar mix of pseudoscience and euphemistic charged language. Mm -hmm. And recent reporting has admitted some sources association with anti-trans groups. Mm -hmm. uh, all that kind of stuff. So uh, the way they responded to this article or this, uh, this open letter is by posting a new op-ed. And I don't think they had this written as a a reaction to this, but showed everything that these people were trying to say uh, with a post defending J.K. Rowling. Mm -hmm. And it's like, first off, she's incredibly rich. She does not need a random op-ed in the New York Times defending her mm -hmm. in any way, uh, much less uh, whether she is you know, transphobic or not, mm -hmm. that kind of thing, which is like, no, she is. She mm -hmm. intentionally courts uh, friendships with various anti-trans people and groups. Mm -hmm. uh, she is a core figure in the anti-trans uh, movement in the UK. Mm -hmm. uh, all that kind of uh, shitty stuff for somebody who is famous for, you know, writing uh, fairly inclusive children's literature. Mm -hmm. uh, though, as you you'll start to look at them more closely. You start to see a lot of the holes in that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so it just comes to like how they name uh, these people. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think they had a black character who has a shackle in their name. Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of uh, fucked up stuff. Mm -hmm. And then of course there's, you know, the elves and the goblins. In that yeah. particular franchise, the the crooked nosed goblins with yeah that run the banks. Yep, not at all classic uh, anti-Semitic, old tiny anti-Semitism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that happened, um, and then it was the Onion 
those glorious bastards who came forward and basically took the New York Times to task to task with probably one of their greatest headlines ever, which is, it is journalism's sacred duty to endanger the lives of as many trans people as possible. Um, yeah, and you might think like, oh, it's The Onion, so it's a, a jokey article, and it's like, not really. Mm-hmm. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, it's uh, it's very kind of a very kind of like a backhanded type of thing. Yeah, it's a very knowing sarcasm to mm-hmm. it as they go here. Uh, yeah, we firmly believe it is journal- journalism's sacred duty to endanger the lives of as many trans people as possible. Quentin, in quotes, is mm-hmm. a 14-year-old assigned female at birth who now identifies as male against the wishes of his parents. His transition was supported by one of his unmarried teachers, who is not a virgin. Mm-hmm. He stole his parents' car and drove to the hospital, where a doctor immediately began performing top surgery on him. After driving home drunk from the hospital, Quinn <laughs> became suicidally depressed, and he wonders now, homeless and ridden with gonorrhea, if transitioning was a mistake. We just made Quentin up, and that's okay. It doesn't mean stories like his aren't potentially happening everywhere constantly. <laughs> Good journalism is about finding those stories, even when they don't exist. It's about asking the tough questions and ignoring the answers you don't like, and then offering misleading evidence in service of preordained editorial co- conclusions. In our case, endangering trans people is the lodestar that shapes our coverage. Frankly, if our work isn't putting trans people further at risk of trauma and violence, we consider it a failure. Mm. Uh then they go on here to say, as journalists, it's our obligation to entertain any and all pseudoscience that gives bigotry and an intellectual veneer. Mm-hmm. We must be diligent in laundering our vitriol through the p- posture of journalistic in- inquiry, mm-hmm. and we must be allowed to fixate on the genitals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the next paragraph, just one line, it is against free speech to stop us from fixating on the genitals. <laughs> uh, and then they continue on here later. Uh, for more evidence of our time-honored journalistic commitment to endangering lives, please see our previous coverage of gay people, immigrants, black people, and women. <laughs> uh, yeah, institutions with massive platforms like ours must be open to different ways of endangering the trans community. <laughs> that might mean using wow. the framework of medical care as a boogeyman to imply that trans people are engaged in something sinister. That might mean turning isolated instances of detransitioning into sweeping generalizations about children being groomed. That might mean identifying the worst prejudices that transgender people face and encouraging our readers to adopt them. Did you forget yet about how he wrote that there might be data showing that trans people should be more likely to get arrested? What if they that were true? Or what if non-binary people are 10 times more likely to traffic infants? What if puberty blockers are a kind of sex crime? What if doctors are climbing through windows to suture penises to sleeping cheerleaders? The next time you see a trans person, you ought to ask these, yourself these questions. All great journalists, and even those lesser journalists who don't work for The Onion, eventually ponder why we do what we do. Is the point of reporting to illuminate the world around us so that we may make meaning of it? Or is it to cause people in minority groups to question their humanity and persuade others to demonize it? We know where we stand, proudly dreaming of genitals. Research shows that trans people are over four times more likely than cisgender people to be the victim of violent crime. We salute our colleagues across the media who are working tirelessly to make that number even higher. Then it shows uh, signatures here, and one of them is Ted Kaczynski. Yep. 
uh, on the editorial board. So yeah, this is yeah. definitely read the whole article. Yeah, uh, but it is a searing takedown. Yeah, of the New York Times and any uh, big publisher of news that mm-hmm. pulls this bullshit constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, it's hysterically funny and just not in a funny haha way, but in a shit way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there was that. Um, then our other hero of the week is Michael Jordan. Yes, that Michael Jordan. He is celebrating his 60th birthday by making the single largest individual donation to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Yeah, he is donating $10 million on his 60th birthday mm-hmm. uh, was this past Friday. Uh, yeah, the largest individual contribution the organization has received in its 43-year history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been part of his sort of uh, his sign of donations that he's been doing mm-hmm. over the past few years. Uh, so that is great news. The, Wic- mm-hmm. the Make-A-Wish Foundation does a good job mm-hmm. helping out these kids that have terminal illnesses to have uh, some cool moments mm-hmm. uh, with the time they have left. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, there you go. Mm. Yeah. So uh, there's that. And finally, uh, Senator John Fetterman announced he's receiving treatment for clinical depression. And we need to make clear, clinical depression is not just, you know, having a bad day. It's a legit mental disorder and requires treatment. Yeah. Um, and yep. unfortunately, in this country, we do not treat mental health the same way we, should tr- we treat physical health. We should treat everything happening the neck up as seriously as we do everything happening the neck down. Mental but, health is health. Mm-hmm. Though in some ways, we treat them both the same. Yeah. That they yeah. do not get the, the treatment they deserve either way. Yeah. Nope. Um, uh, yeah, he put out a big statement uh, about this process that he's going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that is uh, good news because I would be willing to bet he's not the, the first person in Congress to ever suffer from this issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, won't be the last and something people should talk about more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, Republicans have seized this as a, a moment to talk shit about him and his wife, uh, especially his wife claiming that she pushed him to keep running, mm-hmm. knowing that he had these issues to get power and it's like, mm-hmm. yep, that's exactly what she was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also as a Senator, he's getting better care than he would have get as a regular citizen. Mm-hmm. So uh, ultimately he benefits from, you know, pushing through it and dealing with it mm-hmm. uh, when it comes. But yeah, this is a, a good thing to talk about mm-hmm. having a big, uh, big Senator as a, a face of this kind of issue is great for yeah. people that suffer from it every day and either don't have the means of dealing with it or don't uh, have the the funds to get proper treatment. Mm-hmm. So, oh, geez, Ted Cruz said nice things about him. That's maybe even worse. Yeah. Talking shit about him. Somehow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yes, we hope he gets well soon and is back in the Senate very soon. Um, so yeah, that's happening. Um, 
So yeah, those were our heroes of the week. Uh, and with that, it means it's now time for the proper show proper. Our first story is that unfortunately the death at the Turkey and Syria earthquake has officially surpassed 43,000. So yeah. Yeah. And I must continually remind people that uh, this is uh, most of this is in fact Turkey's government's fault. Not only did they have lax building codes, but they basically just left those people to die. Yeah. Just straight up. Yeah. Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah, there's word coming out that basically uh, people building, you know, making these buildings were mm-hmm. given the go-ahead to not have to keep to earthquake code mm-hmm. uh, for those buildings. So mm-hmm. that's great in hindsight. Uh, that uh, uh, Erdogan was the the one allowing it. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Turkey has like 90% of these deaths. They have about 40,000 to Syria having about 3,500 or so. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. If you're wondering where the, the scale of pain is on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that is horrible. Now, the good, the, the sort of small good news is they are miraculously still finding people that have actually managed to survive. But, um, it's tempered by that number there. So, yeah. Yeah. And now some more somber news. Uh, former President Jimmy Carter is entering hospice care at his home. I mean, yeah. he is 96 years old, so. 98. Well, 98, yeah. I believe he's the oldest living president, or the president mm-hmm. who's lived the longest. Yep. Uh, so that's a great run for him, especially mm-hmm. especially the way he was treated in office. Oh yeah. Uh so yeah, he deserves to get that mm-hmm. that kind of great run, especially the way he's used his time since then. Mm-hmm. Uh to do a lot with the, the Habitat for Humanity, uh and all sorts of work that he's done mm-hmm. since then. So yeah. yeah, one of the best things come out of Georgia in a long time. Mm-hmm. Especially the way Georgia's looking right now. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. As they're trying to keep all that Information about the potential overturning of the election mm-hmm. in Georgia from coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then we got this piece of news. The U.S. could run out of cash to pay it sometime between July and September. Now, for the record, that's because the debt ceiling still hasn't been raised. Yeah. Um, this isn't a matter of we don't have the ability to pay. It's that, you know, the frickin' assholes in the Senate have decided in the House of Representatives have decided to play football with the country's future. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I forget there, there are some branches of the government. I think the one that does passports is like raising prices to mm-hmm. increase their ability to raise funds mm-hmm. uh, as well as other places are, you know, shutting down parts of their, their work. Mm-hmm. to save funding and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, having to do a lot of uh, unfortunate stuff to uh, be nice to the egos of mm-hmm. the House GOP. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so that's a thing, unfortunately. So we'll uh, have to see where that shit goes. Um, and then 
We also got this story, which is actually kind of good, because frankly it should have happened a while back, but Senator Dianne Feinstein finally confirmed that she's not running for re-election in 2024. Thank you, God. Yeah, she's 89 right now. Yeah. Uh, so she would be at least 90 uh, by the time the election comes around to mm-hmm. potentially run again. That would really be another six years. Mm-hmm. And it's like, she doesn't need that. California doesn't need that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just let her go the fuck away. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, so that's happening. Um, hopefully they'll get someone really good to take her place. Um, well, to run for her seat anyway. Um, and next up, Scotland's first prime minister, for, well, not prime minister, first minister, because, you know, technically they're still part of the UK. Uh, Scotland's first minister, Nicola Sturgeon, announced her intentions to resign. Because yeah. she was like, yeah, I'm kind of not really, I've kind of taken everything as far as I can, and it doesn't look like the people really want me around anymore, so I'm going to go ahead and leave. And, of course, every single politician in America looked over and like, wait, that was a de- that was a decision you can make? <laughs> yeah, I think the big issue is that uh, the UK is essentially undermining anything they want to do in Scotland. <laughs> yep. Uh, which is not a great way to improve relations for a country that has on again and off again dabbled with independence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they can't, you know, do any sort of independence vote without the UK's approval. Oh yeah. And yeah, that got shut down by Boris Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they ended up doing a vote anyway mm. that I think was in favor of independence, but Oh, yeah, they can't. Yeah. Yeah, this past November, the UK Supreme Court reaffirmed that the Scottish government cannot hold an independence referendum without UK government approval. Mm-hmm. Which is probably not going to happen with the Tories involved. Yeah. Um, she was one of the chief uh, uh, promoters of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as a huge supporter of trans rights, which... Mm-hmm. It's not a thing the UK is interested in right, right now. now. No. Again, you get rid of the Tories and that probably changes a bit. Oh, yeah. Um, but they are doing plenty of damage to poison that well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's... Uh, because much it, as is the case with, you know, the GFB over here, they've only really got the whole culture war shit going for them. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, the UK is sort of backing it up. Uh, with their government laws and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the S- Scotland had a law or a bill in place that made it easier for Scottish residents to legally identify as the gender of their choice mm-hmm. versus what was on their birth certificate. Yeah. Uh, as well as get that changed on their marriage certificate, even death certificates, mm-hmm. undergoing a medical examination. But after a few months of it being in effect, mm-hmm. uh, they said... Oh, no, no, we can't let you do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, making things easier from a government perspective is never what the government wants to do. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so that has happened. And now for a story out of England that's just bizarre. Um, the English police recently foiled a plot to steal a semi-truck with 200,000 Cadbury cream eggs in it. Yep. 
uh, and these are these are different from what we have in the, the U.S. Mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, obviously, they use a different chocolate in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Cadbury cream eggs are kind of a national um, treat there. Over there, yeah. Versus here, where it's I guess just the chocolate rabbits. Yeah, it's well the Cadbury. Cadbury eggs, they're like an Easter thing, basically, yeah. along with peeps. Yeah, whereas here, it's like the tradition is the, the Easter rabbits mm-hmm. made of chocolate. Yeah. I guess the peeps, but not really. They're disgusting. Yeah. Especially as they start getting like Oreos and doing a bunch of flavors of that stuff. But yeah, this semi-truck what, contained about 200,000 Cadbury cream eggs. Uh, he managed to mm-hmm. start getting away with it, and then the cops uh, uh, managed to catch up to him. Mm-hmm. He allegedly used a metal grinder to break through a gate and into the truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not even like a a very kind of complicated plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, they thought that the the sea chocolate was worth about forty thousand British pounds, or about. $48,000 U.S. Mm. And yeah, the mm-hmm. the police Twitter account had to get fun with it, saying the eggs trafficant mm-hmm. theft took place on Saturday, 11th February, mm-hmm. along with the cream eggs. A number of other chocolate varieties are also stolen, so mm. there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So that has happened. Um, and now we got some more somber news. After retiring, Bruce Willis has officially been diagnosed with dementia. Yeah. Yeah, he they announced last March that mm-hmm. he was diagnosed with aphasia and would retire from acting. Mm-hmm. Now it has progressed into frontotemporal dementia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, not great for him or the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, challenges with communication are just one of the symptoms of the disease Bruce faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's at least good to know that they know what was what is going on, mm-hmm. so they can deal with things in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there you mm-hmm. go. Yeah, and so that happened. But now we have some good news. Bill Watterson, the rock creator, writer, and artist of Calvin and Hobbes is coming back with a brand new storybook project for adults. Yeah, this is called The Mysteries. Mm-hmm. It's going to release in October. Uh, it's kind of a spooky illustrated storybook, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, definitely a big change of pace from Calvin and Hobbes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but looks pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Especially the style looks very different. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he's doing the art for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's see. In a fable for grown-ups by cartoonist Bill Watterson, a long-ago kingdom is afflicted with unexplainable calamities. Hoping to end the torment, the king dispatches his knights to discover the source of the mysterious events. Mm-hmm. Years later, a single battered knight returns. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, he has partnered with caricaturist John Cash as the like the, the main artist for the book. Mm-hmm. And if you click on that article, they got some samples of what they're working on. Um, and I'm like, yeah, this is definitely looking good. 
And I wonder, you know, what it was, because here's the thing. Waterson has basically been, like, he ended Calvin and Hobbes back in, I think it was 1995, and he's basically spent the last, like, 28 years basically, like, just more or less doing nothing. Like, I think the most recent thing he's did is he did, like, maybe, I think he, he drew, like, three strips for, like, the Pearls Before Swine, you know, and that's it. Um. Yeah, he's basically done the opposite of what Jim Davis did. Yeah. Uh, where I think all he sells is, like, the books. Mm-hmm. The, the books containing all the the comics, but Jim Davis obviously has turned that into a weird media empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, with shows and uh, billions of books and phones and shirts. And Merchandising of just about every kind. Um, I'd imagine they're Probably Garfield thongs out there, just yeah, going the full breadth. You might have a piece of Garfield-related uh, merchandise in your home right now, and you might not even know it. <laughs> and I'm yeah. really not making that up. It's so pervasive that it just kind of shows up in people's houses. It materializes. Yeah. yeah. I forget where it was. There's the whole thing where, like, a, a container of Garfield phones. Yeah. Uh either fell off of a ship or the ship crashed or something. Yeah. And people on this beach were just finding these phones yeah. washing ashore every once in a while. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Why are these <laughs> creepy ass worn out phones showing up here? Mm-hmm. You know, every once in a while, mm. it's like some haunted shit. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, so Yeah. That's going to happen. It's going to be interesting to see. Wonder if he's getting ready to like go back into doing more now. Like, I, I like I don't expect him to do more Calvin and Hobbes stuff. I mean, he pretty much said he was done with that years ago. But maybe he's getting ready. He's like he's at a point in his life now. Where he's like, yeah, I'm ready to do other projects now. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I guess. Um. And by the way, if you haven't figured it out by now, we. Thoroughly into the entertainment portion of the show. And um, we have this story here. Release date for both the Marvels and Haunted Mansion have both shifted. Yeah. Uh, The Marvels was going to release July 28th Mm -hmm. this year. uh, But they have pushed it to November 10th. Mm. And in its place, Haunted Mansion has moved up from August 11th to July 28th. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know why that's not coming out in like October, but uh, you would think that kind of movie would be a Halloween movie, but mm-hmm. who knows? I think Disney and Marvel basically been saying they're going to try and space out the movies mm-hmm. uh, a bit more. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's part of this. Because uh, they just had Ant-Man release this past uh, weekend. Mm. Uh, which I was thinking about going to watch, and I noticed that my Regal Theater increased their prices for matinee showings to eleven dollars and twenty-five cents. Mm-hmm. I was like, "That's almost double what it was to watch Sonic the Hedgehog before the pandemic hit." Mm-hmm. It was six thirty, so I was like, "Okay, well, I'm not going to go right now on a Friday mm-hmm. when it's going to be busy, so I'm going to go." one of my days off here this week coming up. But yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah. Uh, then we also have this news that Paramount Plus is increasing its prices. Yeah, that's happening. Yeah, as you're getting these services that people are not flocking to, mm-hmm. uh, realizing that just being a back catalog service is not a huge moneymaker. Because mm-hmm. uh, people are not going to subscribe on a monthly basis just to ensure that they have access to you know, like the, the original Star Trek series or mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, they have to make up for it by increasing their $10 ad free tier mm-hmm. to $12. And then the, the essential tier that has ads in it and does not have showtime mm-hmm. is rising from 5 to $6. Uh, but they do not have a time frame for when this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll happen when they officially have the uh, what is it, Paramount Plus with Showtime mm-hmm. rebranding. Mm. But yeah, Peacock is even worse. They they've had the biggest hemorrhaging of money mm-hmm. uh, because there really is not much they have going on there. Outside of if you just want to watch mm-hmm. Have a Place for Friends and The Office. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you can just subscribe for a month or whatever, and you'll be fine. You don't need to pay for that every month. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there you go. Mm. Yeah. So uh, then we have the news that Poker Face has been renewed for season two at Peacock. Yeah. Uh, one of their best things they've had in a while. Uh, is this Poker Face show that's from Ryan Johnson featuring Natasha Lyonne mm-hmm. as a sleuth, traveling sleuth, who uh, does sort of a case of the week mystery format kind mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, it's done well enough that they've decided to do a season two. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Yeah. And um, and uh, we also got news that... Uh, that Netflix has ordered an anime adaption of the acclaimed manga Pluto, which, for those of you who don't know, that is a manga by Naoki Urasawa, you know, the guy behind Monster and 21st Century, 20th Century Boy, and, uh, you know, stuff like that, where he went and he sort of did a revision version of uh, a famous story arc in the Astro Boy series. Um, based around the robot Pluto. Um, it's kind of like one of the first tournament arcs in manga history. Um, and, uh, yeah, Netflix is making an anime. Well, they ordered one, anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's being produced by Genko and animation by M2 Studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's supposed to be out later this year. But, yeah, like one of the, the most popular manga in Japan it's getting a big adaptation, so that's cool to see. And uh, let's see what else. Oh yeah, uh, Arrested. Speaking of Netflix, Arrested Development is leaving Netflix on March fifteenth, which is sad. But yeah, been there for a long time. But oh yeah, uh, they'll be taking the new season, season four and five, with them. Uh, don't know if they have uh, a new service that they'll be going to. It'll get picked up. Yeah, I don't know if Fox has rights to it or who does at this point. Mm. Uh, but that'll be somewhere at some point. Mm. Maybe that'll show up on Hulu. I don't know. Yeah. Um, 
So that's happening. Uh, and now we got a bunch of trailers for you. First and foremost, we got an official trailer for Flash, because that's still happening. Yeah, the, the movie that's been done for quite a while, uh, that they've been just biding their time to finally get it out, I guess. And I guess it's finally going to be out June 16th. Uh, but yeah, this has uh, some interesting stuff to it. It's based on the Flashpoint uh, storyline in The Flash, where uh, he decides to go back to the past to stop his mother from being murdered mm-hmm. uh, when he was a child. And seems to do this, and then all shit breaks loose. Mm. Uh causing lots of chaos in the timelines, so much so that the Michael Keaton Batman shows up mm. uh, in his universe, as well as him dealing with the another Barry, uh, Barry Allen, mm-hmm. that is also played by Ezra Miller. So, uh, yeah, Michael Keaton returns as Batman. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems to have more kick to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, more fighting him, yeah, than, than he really did in the the original movies he was in, mm-hmm. uh, as well as I think uh, Supergirl is in this. Kara, mm-hmm. as the Flash expects, a different Kryptonian to show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess also General Zod has returned to threaten the Earth, and yeah, all kind of wild stuff. So could be a neat movie. Mm. Uh, shame that has to be Ezra Miller still on this as they are still going through mm. uh, a bunch a of <laughs> trouble. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then we also got an official trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. <laughs> yeah, and these trailers continue to be very gloomy as they're very much foreshadowing that uh, people will die. Mm-hmm. As you know, Dave Batista said he's done being uh, in these movies, so yeah. uh, others are expected to die as well before mm-hmm. you know the remaining get folded into the larger Marvel universe. So mm-hmm. yeah, there you go. That'll be May fifth, as uh, probably James Gunn's last movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Um, and uh, we also got an official trailer for Creed 3. Yeah. And this is the one that's directed by Michael B. Jordan. Mm-hmm. It also stars in it. Jonathan Majors, who's in the Ant-Man movie mm-hmm. as uh, Kang, mm-hmm. the Conqueror, uh, is the, the big opponent who is... Uh, Sort of a childhood friend of uh, Creed mm-hmm. in this, and they both got into trouble of some kind. Uh, Jonathan Major's character ends up going to prison instead of Creed, mm-hmm. and uh, sort of gets out and you know vows revenge in a mm-hmm. boxing match, as is the the tradition in this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fun thing is that Michael B. Jordan is talking about how anime the the big fight is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think said recently, like, oh yeah, he does a, a big Dragon Ball punch mm. in there. So 
Yeah, there you go. Mm. You needed to see more reasons why you should see this. See a mm. a big budget movie that is heavily influenced by anime. Mm-hmm. Most so there you go. Mm-hmm. It's out March third, so mm-hmm. in a few weeks here. Mm-hmm. And um, then we got an official trailer for a film called Lucky Hank, which uh, looks like it's starring Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, it's a series. It's his new AMC series mm-hmm. uh, from executive producers of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an English department chairman at an underfunded underfunded college. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is kind of having uh, a midlife crisis of sorts and just having lots of lots of weird stuff happening to him mm. uh, throughout this series. So. It looks really neat, and obviously, people that have liked his recent work as well mm-hmm. have uh, a lot of good reasons to check the show out. Uh, that'll be March nineteenth when it premieres. Okay. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, fun one to check out. Mm. Yeah, um, and uh, we also got an official tre- teaser for HBO's Love and Death. Yeah, this is a new HBO show mm-hmm. that also be on HBO Max April twenty seventh. Uh, based on the story of mm. uh, what is her name, Candy? Uh, I forget her name. Is it's a sort of a well known like axe murderer story mm-hmm. uh, that has been done in like movies and shows previously. Uh, that this is sort of the the latest one. I think one was done like a few years ago by a different company, but mm-hmm. HBO's approved it. They've got Elizabeth Olsen as the uh, the star here with her husband Jesse Plemons. Uh, so yeah, basically she's married but has a an extramarital affair with a. I think he's a teacher. Mm-hmm. middle school teacher, something like that. Uh, then the wife finds out, confronts her, mm-hmm. and ends up with uh, being dead with like 41 axe strikes to her body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the woman gets uh, acquitted mm-hmm. in the trial. That, of course, angers everybody. So, yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. That'll be interesting to see. Yeah. And finally, last but not least, we got an official trailer for Apple TV Plus's Tetris. Yep. Yeah, a film that is inspired by the true story of how uh, this guy managed mm-hmm. to get Tetris out of the uh, Soviet Union yeah. into... Uh, the hands of Nintendo mm-hmm. to make it a help make it a worldwide, yeah, uh, you know, popular game. Yep. Um. Yeah. Uh, Alexi, what's his name? Pagetnov. Alexi Pagetnov. Yeah. Um. He was. Yeah. He literally just. You know, that's a very common puzzle with you know, you know, pieces based on four uh, squares. And he just came up with this program because I think he was like a computer scientist or something or a programmer. Yeah. And he just came up with it in his spare time. He's like, yeah. And 
his friend, one of his friends saw it and he got, got addicted to it. And he's like, he started making copies for it for his friends. And supposedly, according to Patchett Knob, uh, his superior kind of gave him a finger whacking. Because apparently it affected productivity. I bet it did. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then, like, there was this bizarre story of, like, how they were trying to get it out of the USSR and into you know, the Western world, because, you know, basically, like, because everybody knows there were two different releases of Tetris that came out. There was the authorized one by Nintendo, and then there was the unauthorized one by Tengen. And guess which one was better? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, um... And, uh, yeah, and, like, there's this whole thing about, like, the guy who was, like, the representative for Nintendo, he was an American dude, he actually went into the Soviet Union to try and track this guy down. And, like, remember, this was, like, the, like, the, what was it, like, the mid to late 80s? You know? He didn't just walk. Late 80s. Yeah. An American did not just walk into the Soviet Union. And that's exactly what he did. Um, and he was talking to like the guys who were like, I forgot what their title was, but basically what ended up happening is that Paget Knob ended up giving the patent to the Soviet government and that patent ended up getting into the hands of Nintendo who held the rights to it for like years. He didn't get a penny out of it for a long, long time until like the late nineties. Yeah. When the Tetris company was formed. Yeah. Um so yeah, it's a it's a crazy ass story. Um and uh I hope this ends up being good cuz I hope it does his story justice cuz it's it's insane. Sounds like it's a good one. Mhm. But uh anyway, I do believe we have got ourselves a show, folks. Yes, yes we, we do. do. Yes, we do. In under 2 hours, too. Oh. <laughs> What a miracle. But uh, anyway, I would like to remind all of our listeners, if you got a question, comment, or something you want us to read on the air, you can get in contact with us at letsweekenders at gmail.com. Uh, we got a link for you in the show notes, letsweekenders gmail.com. That will say it again. And uh, on top of Apple Podcasts, you can catch our little bit of unscripted shenanigans at TuneIn, Google Plus, I mean, Google Play, RSS, archive.org, or pretty much any kind of podcast aggregator that you can think of. Um, and if we're not on one, just wait a few minutes. We'll be on there eventually um, because we are bound and determined to shove this podcast into as many people's ear holes as we possibly can in on this mortal coil. But um, anyway, yeah, so we're going to go ahead and wind it down. Thank you for paying attention to us for just under two hours. If you like what you heard, don't hesitate to share with friends and family and mortal enemies that may hate you, but may decide they like us. And, uh, yeah, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up there. Uh, Hopefully, by the time we talk again next week, I'll be playing Atomic Heart, and I'll be able to tell you guys whether you should play it or not. But, uh, till then, good night, everybody. Good night.